The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody. It's the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal, yes, you know the answer already, I reveal how the world really works and uh, here is a public service announcement from the Rabbi Daniel Appen show here is a way that you can gain the health benefits equivalent to stopping smoking if you were smoking a pack a day and you also uh, were a very heavy alcohol user borderline alcoholic and you stopped you'd have enormous health benefits, right? Well, what if you're not a heavy smoker and you're not a heavy drinker? What can you do to get those benefits? I am going to share with you. That's right. Turns out that um, a journal, a technical journal called Perspectives on Psychological Science, uh, turns out that, um, that they are... Uh, They've just published something called Loneliness and Social Isolation as Risk Factors for Mortality. And uh, it's a pretty interesting study. It's from a number of different universities. Uh, I've I've looked at the people involved. I mean, obviously, I I don't know the people. I I can't evaluate them. But uh, one of them is a senior research scientist at the University of Chicago, Um, One is an associate professor of preventive medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Uh, Several of them are from the University of Auckland. Uh, Some of them are from Brigham Young University. They're from all over the place. And so uh, there is wide consensus on their results. Uh, What are their results? Well, basically what we're talking about is – longer life and healthier life and ordinarily people will say you know you've got to exercise uh, take omega-3s uh, see your doctor regularly you must diet etc etc but it turns out my friends and this is a prime topic for the rabbi daniel lappin show and something that uh, is uh, very closely related to stuff i've been working on and i'm writing on turns out that loneliness and social isolation are truly and literally just as much a threat to health and longevity as obesity. That's right. Now, if you're uh, fat and lonely, God help you. But if uh, you're sort of within the range of okay and you really want to make a dramatic boost in your health and longevity, you've got to make sure that lonely, loneliness and isolation are not a part of your life. So, um, you know, it's, it's, and, and it's something you've got to really sort of weigh up very, very carefully because there are people who are surrounded by people all the time. You know, there are people who work in busy companies and, uh, 
and maybe they live um, in in I don't know in a, you know in a hotel or they they you know you look at them and you say gee they're surrounded by people all the time but they could still be experiencing uh, tormenting loneliness and so you've got to be careful that when we speak about loneliness and isolation uh, we are talking about real loneliness and isolation. And the fact that somebody may have a lot of people around them or a lot of friends on Facebook or something silly like that, that doesn't mean that they're not lonely and isolated. And so, um, and, and here's the interesting thing. The uh, association, okay, and, and one of those scientists is a statistician, so, um, uh, so they're careful about this sort of thing. The association between loneliness and higher risk for uh, health and mortality is actually more among younger populations than older populations, right? It's amazing because I certainly would have guessed this one wrong. I would certainly have thought that uh, loneliness and isolation uh, are a greater threat to people, you know, over the age of 65, shall we say. However, turns out not to be the case. And uh, theorizing about why that may be, a number of people think that it has to do with the fact that by the time people have reached, you know, 60, 65, um, they, they've sort of achieved a kind of mental equilibrium, a kind of spiritual harmony, uh, better able to take um, isolation and loneliness than younger people. But where it's really wreaking its damage is in the the 20 to 50-year-old age group. That's where loneliness and isolation are really at the highest problems. And so uh, uh, the the study is fascinating because it controlled – I mean, it's very, very careful. It makes fascinating reading. They controlled for all the variables such as socioeconomic status, in other words, to say, oh, well – um, you know, all the people you studied were poor and lonely. That's why they weren't doing well. But rich and lonely people do just fine. No, not true. Uh, age, um, male and female, slight differences between male and female there. Uh, women generally do better. Um, pre-existing health conditions controlled for. And uh, the, the, the result is absolutely unmistakable. The lack of social connectivity presents extreme added risk, whereas the existence of human relationships provide, uh, provides a positive health benefit. Okay. It's very interesting, my friends. It's very interesting indeed and almost uh, inescapable. It's, it's really important. There's also uh, fascinating research that contrasts the states of Nevada and Utah. And here's why they chose those two states. Nevada and Utah have very similar populations in socioeconomic level, in number of doctors per thousand of the population, and yet the health statistics for Utah are way better than the health statistics for Nevada. And they struggle to find explanations. But in the final analysis, fascinatingly, uh, the result is that in Utah, people are connected. It's the LDS Church, a powerful connecting force, a, a wonderful institution of good health is what it's really about. And, and yes, of course, there's uh, caffeine drinking and, and so on and so forth. These are certainly factors. However, the scientists emerge with the conclusion that the most important factor in the distinction in uh, health statistics between Utah and Nevada is that in Nevada, a very large proportion of the population are transplants. They are individuals who themselves recently arrived there and very often arrive there without family. Uh, they come there for career purposes or, or weather and uh, leisure purposes, but whatever it is, a very large proportion of the people who live in Nevada uh, live, live there um, somewhat alone, not connected, certainly not multi-generationally connected, whereas in Utah, the majority of people living in Utah have lived there for a long time. 
and the majority of people in Utah live not far from parents, not far from grandparents, and there's interfamily connection. And when they ask an, a, a sample population in Utah, how often uh, do you get together with family where there is at least two generations of family involved? Utah uh, residents answer with very frequently, and Nevada residents hardly ever. And there you got it. That is one of these massive distinctions between Utah and Nevada, and again, enormous impact on health. And uh, the, the, the next part of the story I have to tell you about is about a man called George Vailant, uh, V-A-I-L-L-A-N-T, and he's a psychiatrist, he's a professor at the Harvard Medical School, and he has done something quite remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Um, he is uh, getting on in years, and uh, God willing, he'll do fine for years to come still. He, uh, he was born in 34, and, uh, and, and the reason I, I hope for his uh, long-term survival and, uh, and, and uh, longevity is because he is still engaged in one of the most fascinating longitudinal studies that I've ever read of. A longitudinal study is a study that watches the same people over a lengthy period of time. And, um, uh, well, I've got to tell you about this one because all of this is, is bringing us to what I really have to tell you about and all of that coming up quite soon. But uh, first of all, before that, I want to uh, remind you of the website. It's rabbidaniellappin.com. And I want to make sure that you know that you can there subscribe to our thought tools and get a free weekly emailing. Uh, it's something I think you'll like, but if you don't, you can always unsubscribe and get rid of it. Uh, but at least you can read about it. You can also read back issues. And I think you'll see it's something you don't really want to miss. But all of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, also wanting to suggest that you take a look at a uh, program, an audio program called Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. Um, if you want clarity on the Middle East, it is impossible to understand what's really going on in the Middle East if you don't get the spiritual dimension. If you don't get what drives Israel and you don't get what drives its surrounding Arab neighbors, uh, then you're going to miss it. And I'm afraid that the entrenched bureaucracy in the State Department, what they call the deep state, <laughs> the entrenched bureaucracy at the State Department is made up almost exclusively of uh, career administrators and bureaucrats and uh, politicians who have never in their entire lives met somebody who is willing to die for his God. And that is something without which full comprehension of the Middle East is quite impossible. So take a look at an audio program called Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam, and that's at rabbidaniellappin.com. It's also a place, by the way, you might want to uh, submit a question. If you have any questions that you think uh, are similar to sort of, the, sort of the questions I like answering, then just what you can do actually is read a compendium of previous questions and their answers at rabbidaniellappin.com and see if they stimulate any question for you. If they do, and you're interested in submitting a question, you do that at rabbidaniellappin.com as well. Okay, uh, so I hope you'll visit that website and uh, stay tuned for I Shall Return in just a moment. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. 
To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Welcome back, each and every one of you, with your secret dreams and your hidden aspirations and... uh, how do I know you have secret dreams and hidden aspirations? Well, if you are listeners to this show, then surely, surely you must do. Because the alternative would mean that uh, you are content. And we human beings should never be content. Happy? Oh, yes, we should definitely be happy, but never content. And there is an enormous difference between happiness and contentment. Give that some thought, and uh, I think you'll, you'll see the distinction. Hidden dreams, wonderful. May you always have hidden dreams, and may you always struggle towards achieving them. Well, uh, somebody who uh, definitely has and had hidden dreams and struggled towards achieving them was this amazing guy. He was a Harvard uh, psychiatrist and professor at the Harvard Medical School, where he still is, by the way. Uh, Nothing different about that. He still is there. And his name is George Valant. And I I may well be butchering that name, uh, and I'm sorry if I am. But um, at any rate, he is famous for something called the Grant Study, G-R-A-N-T, the Grant Study. And the Grant Study is one of the greatest longitudinal studies ever. Now, uh, you may have heard me use the phrase longitudinal study uh, because I speak about the Jewish people as a longitudinal study in the sense that uh, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to find any other group of people who have functioned under exactly the same consistent cultural system for more than 2,000 years. Now, some people said to me, well, you know, the the Chinese have, and I would uh, respectfully dissent in saying that um, it would be very hard for a, a person trained and raised in modern Mandarin uh, to be able to read and speak the Chinese from 2,000 years ago. It would be from a, a different uh, period, and it would be quite different. However, it is not at all difficult for a street urchin in Jerusalem to read the words of King David from 3,000 years ago in the book of Psalms. Nothing has changed. Uh, The daily newspaper that gets published in Tel Aviv every morning is written in exactly the same language as the language of uh, the five books of Moses 3,300 years ago or the the book of Isaiah or the, the work of King David or King Solomon. It's all exactly the same. So I often speak about Uh, the Jewish people as history's longest longitudinal study. In other words, if you want to measure the impact of a certain culture on a certain people, you cannot do better than studying the people of Israel. But in uh, modern scientific terms, the longest and uh, most famous longitudinal study is that of uh, George Valant. And here's what he did. It's, It's really amazing. In 1938, that's when they started it. Uh, Now, uh, George Valant was still uh, very young. He wasn't involved at the very beginning. But uh, they began a study there that wanted to find out what different traits and characteristics in a young man predict his chances of living a long, successful, flourishing life. And so they began that study uh, back in 1938, and they recruited nearly 300 of the sophomores at Harvard University from the all-male classes. It was only men, by the way, um, uh, of 1939 to 1944. 
and they set out to examine every aspect of their lives, and they planned to do it for about 20 years. All the men selected were healthy in body and mind, and uh, they seemed likely to capitalize on, on the potential they possessed and the blessings they'd received and being at Harvard and becoming successful adults. Uh, many of them came from uh, financially successful families. Many were intelligent students who'd been plucked from poor households and given full scholarships. So uh, it wasn't economically uniform. Uh, the studies, participants, uh, they all signed on voluntarily for extensive probing into their lives. I mean, they really signed off uh, all hope of any privacy. Uh, they were given physicals. They were given thorough psychological evaluations. Researchers visited their homes to interview their parents as well as three generations of relatives. Each year, the men filled out an exhaustive questionnaire. You get the idea. And this grant study continues today. It's more than 75 years since it began. And it's been extended again and again and again. And um, George Valant was the director for decades. Uh, he began working there when he was 32. I think he's about 90 now. Uh, you know, uh, you can he was born in 34, so you can figure it out. Uh, the participants... Um, are, uh, are are also old, older guys, and so um, uh, there it is. It's it's been going on year after year after year. the The study is quite fascinating, and I could really I could take an entire show telling you about what they came up with and how they crunched the numbers, and uh, how they were able to discover that um, the IQ was irrelevant, uh, body type. You know, the, the scientists use body types, uh, mesomorph, ectomorph, and endomorph as the three main body. Anyway, it's all re irrelevant, so it just doesn't matter anyway. The income and educational level of parents does not matter. Um, what factors did loom large? Which, which is the one factor that really predicted the, the, mm -hmm. the top? success there relationships a warm and supportive childhood uh, having had a married mother and just listen to this having had a married mother and father each of whom had warm relationships with their children i mean it's amazing um warm and close adult relationships between the age of 30 and 50 uh, meaning friends family, and social organizations. Uh, George Valon found that men who had the highest scores in these areas, uh, two married parents, uh, close relationships with parents, close relationships with siblings, by the way, very important. People with siblings did better than people without. People with close relationships with siblings did much better. This, this stuff is absolutely amazing. Um, and... Um, Basically, again, they, they repeated again and again and again, the capacity for intimate relationships predicted flourishing in all aspects of these men's lives. All right, now, the fact that it didn't include women uh, is, is, is just how it was, right? But it doesn't make this any less fascinating. One of the reasons is because uh, men generally don't enjoy the same longevity as women. Yet these men did. They did and are. They're doing wonderfully. The longevity of the men with the highest tests of relationship strengths are the ones who are enduring. And now some of them are in their 90s and they're still participating in the grand study. So if uh, you ever get asked on a quiz, the, uh, the name of, of the longest uh, best known longitudinal study, that would be the grand study of uh, hundreds and hundreds of men from Harvard University that began in the late 1930s and uh, continues to the present day. The outcome, the result of it, very simple. <laughs> relationships really matter, particularly uh, relationships with family in the early years. But okay, fine. Uh, even people who didn't have great relationships with family in the early years turn out to do very well later on and uh, uh, as long as the relationships are there. 
what sort of relationships really matter. Uh, close relationships with parents and siblings in the early years and a strong and successful marriage in the middle years. A strong and successful marriage, like the most important thing, crazily important. Okay, and uh, after that, uh, business relationships. Now, friends is an interesting area. You'll remember that uh, one of the most successful TV series uh, running from, I think it was 94 to two, uh, no, it was 10 years, now from 94 to 2004, was a series called Friends. Does that ring a bell with you? Um, it always fascinates me, uh, that, that series. I'll tell you why. First of all, it was very successful. It ran for 10 years. Uh, although the actors were paid about, I think, $18,000 uh, an episode at the beginning, by the time they hit the 10th season, they were making a million dollars an episode. So that gives you an idea of how much money the, uh, the show was making, which means uh, you have an idea of how successful it was and how many people watched it. And uh, you'll remember, right, the, the cast was uh, Jennifer Aniston. She played uh, Rachel. And Courtney Cox was Monica, and uh, Monica's brother um, was, uh, what was his name again? It'll come back to me, but he was played by David Schwimmer. Okay, you remember that? And then that charming um, Phoebe was uh, that great actress, Lisa Kudrow. Uh, Matt LeBlanc played um, uh, Joey, the, the aspiring actor. Uh, Matthew Perry played uh, Chandler, Chandler Bing. Uh, with all his hang-ups, and um, uh, yeah, Ross, right, Ross was his name, and uh, there there were these six uh, people who, who played, they were, you know, 20 to 30-year-olds living in Manhattan and hanging out at their coffee shop, and they were best friends, and while a family did show up occasionally, like uh, Chandler Bing's parents were totally dysfunctional um, very, very weird and bizarre people, which Chandler felt had something to do with why he was the way he was. Uh, so, you know, and you occasionally meet, I think you occasionally meet Rachel's uh, father, and maybe her mother as well. Uh, but again, somewhat cold and distant guy, her father was, if I remember correctly. Um, and then you occasionally see uh, the, the brother and sister, uh, Monica and Ross. Uh, you sometimes see their parents, Mr. and Mrs. Geller, uh, the Mr. Geller was played by Elliot Gould, if I remember correctly. The mom, I don't remember. But anyway, you occasionally see them, and that, that sort of seemed a fairly warm and, and normal functioning family. And, and maybe, uh, unwittingly, that may have something to do with why the only two cast members, um, well, uh, Chandler, of course, uh, in, in that sense, but, uh, but Monica uh, marries Chandler at the end. I hope that's not too much of a spoiler for you. And uh, Ross is in and out of marriages. I think he gets married three times or something like that. But uh, here's the important point. Uh, friends do not replace family. And the essential conceit of the show was that you don't need family because as long as you've got friends, that's everything. That's why the name of the show was Friends. And they really act as if they're one another's family and they, uh, they speak about it. And, and later on, Cast members actually talk about that they actually got so close that they began to feel like family. Here's an interesting thing I discovered, which is that um, they were so close to one another that although Warner Brothers, who was producing the show, likes uh, negotiating individually, these six actors insisted on negotiating jointly, which meant that the highest paid ones, uh, interestingly enough, that included um, uh, David Schwimmer, I don't know why, he doesn't seem to me to be the strongest actor, but at any rate, well, he's good. He is good. Uh, some of the people, some of the higher end had to reduce their earnings in order for the lower end to pick up. But at fairly, uh, from fairly early on, all six uh, in the ensemble got paid exactly the same amount. And it was just a, a tribute to just how close they became. Uh, but anyway, that is the idea that friends are just the same as family. Well, friends are very important, but it's not the same as family. And, uh, and that is something that we'll elaborate on a little bit further. But uh, friends are not even as important as somebody else. So family is the most important in terms of human relationships. 
in other words, blood relationships or sexual, in other words, uh, right, a man and a woman who marry are not blood related to begin with, they are sexually related. Uh, the fact that we, today we live in a culture in which sexual relations doesn't necessarily mean marriage, that is another matter. But uh, when we speak about sexual relations, that ordinarily does mean a marital relationship. And then after that, relationships between parents and children and siblings and so on, and for, all those are blood relationships. Those are the most important. And friends are the third level. But what's the second level? What is not, not as important as family, but more important than friends? What could that possibly be? And you're going to have just a, a few moments to think about that uh, while we take a quick break. But uh, before we do that, I want to give you the, the website, and I want to uh, urge you to take a look at an uh, audio program called Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. That's the one I'm speaking about on this show. And uh, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, right? R-A-B-B-I, for those of you recently immigrated from out of Mongolia. Uh, rabbidaniellappin.com, and take a look at, uh, at Clash of Destiny, uh, getting an insight into what really is going on in the Middle East, and what could the future hold? What might be a blueprint for the future? I'll give you a clue. It'll have nothing to do with a peace brokered on the lawn of the White House or in the offices of the European Union in Strasbourg or Belgium. No, that's not where there will be any hope. Oh, maybe a United Nations brokered? No, nah, not that either. Anyway, that's all in uh, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Be back with you in a moment. More to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. If you're in the market for a new mattress, Casper.com slash rabbi should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress, and it's sold directly to you, eliminating the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a sleek, how-did-it-fit-in-there box. You just let it unfold, and there you have it, one of the most supportive sleep surfaces ever designed, hassle-free. Casper is made in America, and Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights free, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Right now, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rabbi. That's casper.com promo code rabbi. Terms and conditions apply. Casper.com slash rabbi. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Thank you, everybody, for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. And uh, we're, we're dealing with topics having to do with success uh, in life and the extent to which success in life depends upon family relationships, uh, friendships. And a lot of this obviously is very politically incorrect. And uh, I would imagine that uh, by now, uh, most, most likely, we've probably um, got rid of any listeners who are sycophants, cynics, and skeptics. <laughs> And uh, we're left with all of you deeply committed to probing for the truth. Because uh, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, when you find yourself stuck in conversation with a closed-minded propagandist, uh, and, and, and these days there's more and more of that around, uh, it's like going to a fine restaurant to have dinner with a vegan. <laughs> it's just basically unsatisfying. So that's not what it's like here at the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, and uh, certainly not at all from my end of the microphone. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure, and I think of it even more than a pleasure. I think of it as a privilege to be able to share with you every week here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. So, uh, um, so we were talking about the importance of uh, sexual and blood relationships, in other words, family, 
and uh, we're talking about certainly the importance of social connections through friendships. But there's another category that comes in between that is more important than friendships, but not as important as family. And, and that, are, that is relationships uh, where some obligation exists. Now, I know some of you may say, well, wait a second. I mean, I, you know, I feel obligations toward my, towards my friends. And, and yes, uh, you do, of course, and uh, your friends feel the same towards you. Uh, that is friendship. But those are basically self-defined obligations. And uh, the evidence for that is how often uh, people have to say, to, look, friends don't do that to friends. And the other side says, well, yes, you can. And there are arguments about what exactly being a friend entails or what it doesn't entail. Uh, and that's because there are no objective definitions of obligations within friendship. They are whatever they are. Uh, you may remember a silly movie from decades ago uh, in which one of the characters says, love means never having to say you're sorry. Right? Well, you could, you could say friends mean never having to say sorry, but other people think you do. So what sort of relationships have more obligation than friendship, but not as much obligation as family? Uh, you'll see where we're going with here is that uh, obligation is what generates closeness in relationship, right? Um, surely you have no greater obligations than those to your spouse. Now, some of you, sometimes women will say to me at this point, well, wait a second. Uh, I have more obligation to my children. No, you don't. You have greater obligation to your spouse than to your children. And not understanding that is one of uh, the most common traps within marriage. So uh, the relationships that contain uh, more objectively defined obligation than friendship, but not as much as marriage and family. Uh, yeah, um, social organizations, right? You belong to a, uh, a rotary club or you belong to a, a, a group that supports the, the, your, your children's school or the Boy Scouts, which, by the way, need all the help and support they can get these days. Uh, all of these uh, organizations, your involvement there does include a sense of obligation. And that's partially why you very frequently end up liking and befriending people you meet inside various organizations of this kind, where your involvement is not just, you know, whatever you feel like, but there's an expectation. Either members uh, have to contribute a certain amount a year, or, or they do a certain amount of work, or they serve on committees, or whatever it is. But uh, those kinds of connections bring real value. And so if you happen to be somebody with inadequate connection in your life, if you are teetering on the edge of loneliness and isolation, I hope you're not, but uh, if you are, one of the ways of trying to resolve that is getting into an organization where some level of obligation is assumed. And so you seek out those kinds of organizations, and there is real value in that. Uh, one more example of an organization where there is a very significant obligation assumed that is at work, financial relationships. Relationships that are the result of working together, collaborating together. Obviously, there's heavy obligation, and that's one of the reasons that men particularly do form friendships at work. Very often, more than women, but women to some extent also. But men uh, tend very often to form friendships out of work. In other words, it's probably more often that we make a friend out of a work associate than that we make a work associate out of a friend, right? Most people think to themselves, now, you know, I don't want to hire a friend. It's just, it's problematic. And and for good reason, it, 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 it is walking a tightrope. Uh, and so people say, oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bring my friend into my company, uh, but to bring someone in my company into my friendship circle, that that does happen. Even though uh, it also could potentially generate the same unease down the road if anything were to go wrong in the business relationship, and there's a friendship as well, it can be awkward, no question about it. But the potential for awkwardness is not a reason 
to avoid close relationships. So um, that then is uh, uh, an that, that then is a list of the three areas of friendship: family, um, obligation-type relationships, organizations, work, etc., and then finally, just plain friends. So uh, not only do we have uh, a very strong relationship between <laughs> relationships and health, not only do we see beyond any shadow of a doubt that our connections with other people give us better health, but uh, we also understand that our connection with other people does better, makes us do better on the money side. As a matter of fact, one of the, the, the biggest mysteries to me is there's constant discussion of poverty in America. Now, a lot of it is very dishonest. A lot of it is politically generated in order to justify taxation, in order to justify a bigger uh, government, in order to, to justify governmental takeover of the economy. And so there's constant talk of poverty, and most of it is dishonest. Because if they really cared about poverty, if they really cared about people who don't have enough money and not making enough money, then they should be talking about marriage. And the analysis should, should not be income inequality. No, the analysis should be marriage inequality. Uh, the United States Census Bureau, okay, I mean, I'm afraid this, this talk about inconvenient information to the left, this is really inconvenient information, but it just cannot be refuted. It's, it's real. It's there. And that's why I mentioned, I mean, government Census Bureau information, this is not what the government wants to be promoting. You know uh, the government shaped by its deeply held faith of secular fundamentalism does not want anything out there that suggests that conventional, traditional marriage is what is really good for people. However, I'm afraid that is a rather inescapable conclusion. Uh, everybody knows that um, among families that have two married parents, a mother and a father and children, about 4 to 5 percent are said to be below the poverty line. And, you know, that's all at any rate, to whatever extent that's an objective measure, there is such a thing called the poverty line. What it really has to do with poverty is something else, but let's say for the moment that it does. Uh, about, roughly speaking, 5% of uh, people who are living in a traditional family with children and two married parents, uh, male and female, by the way, uh, about 5% live below the poverty line. But... Um, by contrast, when families are headed by a single mother, the poverty level jumps to over 40%. It's pretty significant, from under 5 to over 40. Now, how about families headed by a single father? There are too few of them to be statistically significant. You can't find enough to measure. So, overwhelmingly, when there's a single person with children, it's almost always the mother, and the poverty level over 40%. Now, the problem is that the, that, that the percentage, or is it an absolute number, I'm not sure, but, but certainly the percentage of children raised in female-headed families, in other words, only one person heading the family, no marriage, just a woman, that number is growing in America. That's pretty serious. It really is. Uh, the, and the figures, the racial figures, tie into what you assume to be the poverty figures. And so whilst it may be causation, it may not be, uh, although I think we all suspect it is, but the correlation is undeniable. Um, about 25% of children born to a white mother were out of wedlock. Okay, this, uh, well, in other words, they, they measure every single white mother. These statistics and the, the information is kept by the government. Um, about 25%. And it's high. I mean, that is shockingly high. It wasn't like that 50 years ago, not even close. But now, um, and the, the figures I'm looking at are from 2012, but, uh, but there are more recent figures as well. About 25% of um, white women who gave birth to a child were not married to the child's father. 
uh, for Hispanics. And you know the government measures everything by race, right? So I'm, I'm joining in even though I despise it. By the way, I never fill in the race, the race question. I don't care if it's a census figure. I don't care if it is a, or any governmental form, any form that asks for my race, I refuse to fill in. I'm not doing it. Um, the, uh, for Hispanics, uh, 50%. Little over fifty percent of uh, Hispanics uh, give birth. About fifty percent of bil- children born to Hispanic women uh, are born to a woman without, not married to the child's father. And uh, for African Americans, figure is over seventy-five percent. Okay, it's it's tremendously problematic. But at any rate, anybody who says that marriage is not related to poverty is uh, in denial <laughs> it's, it's absurd absolutely absurd so um, uh, when when we speak about America becoming a two uh, a two cost country and you know this is the whole debate about income inequality no don't talk about income inequality talk about marriage inequality and uh, when they speak about well this is the haves and the have nots and it's the rich and the poor don't buy it it's not true the difference is those people who treat marriage and education as important and those people who do not treat marriage and education as important. All right? Uh, if you want to look at the haves and the have-nots in American society, do you know what the biggest separation is? The most reliable correlation between the haves and the have-nots? Haves tend to marry and give birth. The have-nots tend to give birth and stay unmarried. I mean, that's what it is. It's inescapable. Marriage makes a difference. It's unbelievable. The, um, the connection is completely inescapable. Uh, obviously, uh, the left believes that the so-called income gap can best be closed by increasing taxation on, on the better off and transferring the money to the poor. I mean, when will they learn? Right? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, the tax code is already unbelievably progressive, as they call it, by the way. Isn't that, don't you just love the adoption of that term progressive? Uh, the, um, the Congressional Budget Office repeatedly uh, re- releases reports that make abundantly clear that of just how progressive the tax code is, in other words, um, socialistic. But poverty remains exactly the same problem it always was. Right? We've, we've solved nothing. Um, uh, the top 40% of wage earners, the top 40% of wage earners, are those, that's those of us who make more than 50 grand a year, pay nearly 90% of all federal taxes. The bottom 40% of earners pay just 4% of all taxes. Isn't that something? I mean, so you know, how, how, how much further can you go if they really, really wanted to solve poverty? Then wouldn't they take a look at marriage? Wouldn't they start examining that? I think so. All right, so let's take a closer look at marriage coming back. Uh, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, you may want to ask a question there. Please do. You may want to read back issues of Susan's musings. Uh, most recently, she wrote a beautiful one on uh, Jared and Ivanka Trump. Uh, Kushner, sorry, <laughs> pardon me, Kushner. And, um, and their, the, uh, their observance of, of Jewish faith. Um, that's all on the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. You've got previous thought tools. And uh, you can also subscribe, you can ask a question, you can send me an email, whatever you want to do. But chiefly what I'd like you to do there is please go over to the store section and take a look at a product called Clash of Destiny, decoding the secrets of Israel and Islam. Uh, Impossible to understand the Middle East without understanding the differences between Judaism and Islam and uh, and impossible to understand the Middle East without realizing that uh, certain things to certain people are more important than land, are more important than life itself. 
and that is what makes the Middle East so complicated. But I explain all of that along with uh, an enormous amount of fascinating biblical material. Even for those of you who are enthusiastic Bible scholars, uh, I guarantee you, I really guarantee you that uh, much of the uh, biblical material in this audio program called Clash of Destiny, you will not have seen. For instance, did you know that there was a link between a verse having to do with Ishmael and the appearance of Yasser Arafat at the United Nations where he showed up with a revolver on his belt, uh, 19, I think it was 72. Anyway, yes, uh, there is a link between a specific Bible verse and that, and I tell you all about it in uh, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. Back in just a moment with more information on the relationship between sex and money or marriage and commerce, however you might want to look at it. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Back with you in a moment. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Hi, everybody, and we're back here with the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Your rabbi, that's me, revealing how the world really works as uh, we move forward with today's discussion uh, here on this show, uh, we really are talking about money and sex. That's really what we're talking about. And I'm exploring how these two of mankind's deepest compulsions reinforce one another and how they ultimately sublimate into marriage and commerce. And that is for the benefit of individuals and society. Somehow or another, uh, the whole enterprise of human development works best when both money and sex, these deep urges built into us, um, combine and become marriage and economic success, business success. And that's exactly what they do. So we've already looked during today's show, we've already looked a little bit at how it is that marriage seems to create greater financial success. But they, there really is no doubt about it at all. Um, as a matter of fact, it is correct, I think, to say that one of the widest and most insidious distortions of truth spread in today's race-conscious culture is that poverty is a black problem. No, it isn't. Again, taking my information from the United States government that has no interest whatsoever in helping me or furthering my argument or my approach. No, not at all. Uh, nonetheless, taking information from the United States government, what I end up with is that uh, poverty is a marriage problem, and it's primarily a single man problem. In other words, and this is a fascinating thing, would you believe it? It's absolutely true that on average, black single women out-earn white single women. Men, no, uh, correction. Black women of, of not broken down to single, correction. Black women in general out-earn white single men. Okay, there you got it. Singleness among men is a problem. The inf uh, poverty flows from singleness, particularly among men. Um, women who have children without being married are definitely, well, regardless of their color, are definitely a, a, a tremendous poverty problem. 
But uh, the interesting thing is that why is it that everybody assumes that poverty is an African-American problem? Well, only because marriage is doing so badly among black people. That is the problem. Why? I believe the answer is government. I think the government targeted blacks and, uh, and did everything possible to shatter traditional family structure in the black community since 1960. Why do I say since 60? Because two wonderful black economists, uh, Thomas Sowell and uh, Walter Williams, both point out how these uh, indicators have deteriorated substantially since 1960. In other words, from the beginning of the civil rights legislation, which should have been a blessing, it should have been a wonderful thing, uh, in fact, marriage and family structure in the African-American population uh, virtually began collapsing, and today it has. I gave you some of the figures earlier about uh, illegitimate births in uh, white, Hispanic, and black populations. And so it's the, it's the failure of marriage that brings poverty in its wake. So um, we, all, we all understand that. It's, uh, it, if you don't know about it, Truly, an hour's independent research will totally persuade you that the surest way to combat uh, poverty is uh, to have marriage, strong marriage, and no children before marriage. And, and, and you've got it. You've solved the problem. But, of course, for progressives, that solution, that medicine, that cure is worse than the disease in the first place. They'd rather have poverty than a return to a traditional family structure because in a traditional family structure, the need for government is far less than in a society made up of struggling single people, struggling families headed by a single woman. Those are the population sectors that really want big government. And so obviously big government caters to that, the last thing they want to see is people becoming independent of government by developing strong families and strong bank accounts. And so, yeah, it's perfectly clear. I don't have to spend more time right now on establishing that marriage produces money. But how about the inverse? How does money produce marriage? Well, we have to go back to to the very basics and... Uh, and even biological bases. Um, I'm, I'm looking mostly at research from uh, 2009. It was Newcastle University. And this is the kind of, re there's a whole lot more that, that came from a, a massive review of uh, China. It's called the Chinese Health and Family Life Survey. Uh, they interviewed 5,000 people across China, in-depth interviews about their personal lives, um, including covering questions about uh, marital life, intimate life, income. And so this was, for me, this was sheer gold because uh, uh, it, it, it dealt with exactly what I'm focused on, which is the interplay between uh, sex and money, or if you like, marriage and finance. And uh, what is the, the result? Well, talking about it on a very basic level, uh, it is very simply that... Um, women derive greater, far greater. I mean, we're talking about, never mind statistic significance, this is uh, overwhelmingly and compellingly obvious that uh, women enjoy greater physical intimacy uh, with men who have a few dollars in their pockets. So, um, ladies, if you've got a boyfriend whose primary mode of transport is a skateboard, that's how he gets around town, uh, and you're not having a fulfilling life, uh, that may have something to do with it. Uh, pretty obvious. Um, I, I don't want to dwell on this more than absolutely necessary. It's uh, primarily because if you think about it, it's just not that counterintuitive, right? It's not as if you say to yourself, what? Women enjoy being with successful men? I, I can't believe that. And does this turn women into uh, uh, reprehensible gold diggers? That's all women are looking for? No, not at all. No, the point is that this is a method 
Again, my belief is God created it this way. Yours might be a different approach, but what is unarguable, we both have to agree, that the system seems to reward men who make money. That's a good thing, because we've already covered in the past in other shows that the only way to make money is to serve other human beings. And if I can come up with a system that will mean more men figure out how to please me and how to improve my life by providing goods and services that enhance my life, if more men do that, rather than trying to get power over me by being in government, that's better for my life. And if it turns out that God created a system that rewards men who make money with the enormous pleasure of physical fulfillment in marriage, how wonderful is that? What is, what is there ever to, uh, to, to be disappointed about that? But again, I, to tell you the honest truth, uh, I didn't need the Chinese survey. I didn't need the Newcastle University study. I, I didn't, and, and a whole lot of other studies along the same lines. Again, I mean, if, if you're interested, you can just Google it. There's so much. I really didn't need any of it, and I don't think you do either. Because the fact is that um, uh, power is an aphrodisiac for women. Uh, women are attracted to, to men who exude confidence and who, uh, who exude success and power. And uh, making money is one of the surest ways to acquire confidence and, and success and charisma and power. And so, I mean, all of this makes perfect sense. This is not in any way a mystery to me, uh, right? Women, um, for women, physical um, uh, happiness, physical uh, ecstasy and joy is a complicated thing. It's not as simple as it is with men. Uh, with women, there's a whole package. It, it, there has to be a, a mental comfort, and above all, there has to be a feeling of safety and security. This is one of the reasons that women in marriage all consistently, again and again, report greater satisfaction physically than women in casual relationships. Now, for men, um, there are other reasons as to why that is also true, but for women, it's a, an obvious and, and almost self-evident factor. And so uh, there we see it at the very outset that on its most basic biological level, money helps marriage. But it also helps marriage in, in the sense that we all know the converse, which is that one of the most common problems that imperil marriages are financial problems. And it's the most terrible thing uh, when, when couples are going through tremendous financial problems as a result of the financial challenges they're experiencing. And uh, I, I'm not going to go more into this right now because it's a, a topic all on its own and, um, and it's, a very, um, it's, it's a very real and sad topic, particularly in many religious communities and, uh, and, and particularly true. It's somehow or another, for reasons that I don't want to go into right now, um, there, are, uh, there is a great deal of poverty in parts of the orthodox of the religious Jewish communities, both in the United States and elsewhere in the world. Uh, the reason for that is sad and tragic, but be it what it is, bottom line is that um, uh, rabbis uh, very often have to deal with marital stress that flows from financial stress. And so we, we understand the converse. If uh, financial stress is bad for a marriage, financial success is wonderful and great for a marriage obviously, and marriage is good for finances as well. So uh, they, they've got a, uh, an entire uh, package in today's show talking about this relationship between money and marriage uh, at its deepest level and at, at its most sublime level. This is clearly part of what the plan is for human getting together, for human connection. And... Uh, uh, for those of you who are interested, it's uh, it's all wrapped up in the first two chapters of Genesis, and um, and one of the things that uh, that takes place very early on is the emphasis on by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread, 
Um, contrary to what many people believe, that this is part of God's punishment to Adam and Eve. No, on the contrary, uh, this is an economic statement. It's one of the reasons that bread is the most common uh, slang term for money, like, you know, can you lend me some bread or got any dough on you? Uh, that, uh, that, that relationship between bread and money comes from the beginning of Genesis. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. In other words, you will make money by working, and that's a good thing. That is a blessing. And that, of course, follows uh, the, the first sexual connection between Adam and Eve, uh, the, the idea that, that God is setting up two kinds of human relationships early on. One is a sexual relationship between a man and a woman, and the other is a financial relationship where men serve one another. They interact economically, and the result is an incredible divine blessing called money. But uh, more on that in weeks to come. Right now, that's as far as we can go in today's show. Uh, visit the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Take a look at the audio product in the uh, store. It's called Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. You'll enjoy it, and uh, it will also make a nice gift for a family member or, uh, or a friend. Or even a business associate. Yes, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. All at RabbiDanielLappin.com. RabbiDanielLappin.com. Head over there. Be in touch. Let's connect, shall we? It'll make both of us less lonely. It'll make the world a happier place for us. So be in touch at my website. And have a wonderful week. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Wishing you a week of good health and prosperity. God bless. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio.